what I want to do is just take us back to Matthew chapter 6, where we were this morning uh, in verses 5 to 15, and just take a few minutes to sort of draw out some implications from all of the things that we saw there in what Jesus has to say about preaching or about prayer. And this is certainly not exhaustive, but just some extended meditations, if you will, regarding some of the implications in light of what Jesus teaches. So let me read chapter 6, verses 5 to 15 again, and uh, then just speak to these matters. And then again, this will lead us into a time that Tim will lead us through in corporately praying together. So in Matthew 6, verse 5, we hear from Jesus, when you pray, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And this is the word of God. Well, I won't re-preach the things that we uh, looked at and that I shared this morning, but you get the sense of the passage and in the big truth, the the summary focus of all that Jesus is teaching there, understanding that prayer is a posture of heart consumed with seeking God and his kingdom. And so in light of that, let me just draw out four implications. Again, these are not exhaustive. You all could probably come up with many more, um, and that would be a wonderful discussion to just tease out and think together and talk together about some of these implications But these are four prominent ones that that came to mind in light of these things. So let me just hold these before you. So here's the first one, and it's this, that we were made to pray. That we were made to pray. We were created, and for those who are saved, we were saved by God to pray. This is what we were made for. And just in the same way that we were made physically, that God designed us physically to breathe, to eat, and to drink, to sleep, and a host of other matters that play into our physical lives, in the very same way, we were made to commune with God in prayer. It's part of our spiritual DNA, if you will. And in Christ, for those who have come to faith in Christ and know God and are brought into fellowship and union with God in Christ through the Spirit, um, this is part of our very DNA, that we are his beloved children, and he has made us to be dependent and needy and continually looking to him in prayer. And so for that reason, because prayer is this 
posture of heart that is consumed with seeking God and his kingdom, and in the very nature of salvation, he changes our sinful, rebellious, unbelieving heart to be one of believing and looking to him. He causes us to be born of him. Uh, Prayer should be a natural, supernatural, if you will, impulse of our renewed hearts to seek him in prayer. It's how we're made. It's how we're created and saved by him. And so this uh, should be something that, in a sense, comes naturally to a child of God. As we're going to think about as well, it doesn't mean it's not without effort and it's not without the need for instruction and encouragement, but there's an impulse. There's new life that, that issues forth in an inclination, an impulse to want to seek God in prayer. And this is bound up within all that we know of him in his word as well. Now, a related um, aspect of this, this is all still within this first implication that we were made to pray, is that only sin kills, hinders, and dulls this inclination to pray. Um, If there's sin that we are not confessing, that we're not dealing with, that we're not turning from and and bringing before the Lord and trusting his forgiveness and his cleansing in Christ, if there's any aspect of sin that we're holding on to, either between us and God or if there are issues between us and other people that we know we have responsibility for that we're not addressing, it will kill and dissipate the inclination to pray. And so Obviously, that means that if we're not as inclined to pray as we might otherwise be, one thing we should consider is, is there any sin in my life? Is there anything that I'm not um, addressing, that I'm not dealing with? Now, we understand, even in light of what Jesus teaches in Matthew 6, that part of our praying to him is, is connected with confessing sin, seeking pardon for sin. Um, but oftentimes, uh, and I think it was John Owen that said, sin will, what was it that he said? He said, sin will keep you from prayer. Was it prayer? I'm looking at, I'm looking at uh, Tim. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That was it. Sin, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So connected with that, he probably addressed prayer somewhere in the verbosity of all that he wrote. He wrote a lot of things. Um, but it will play into that. And so if we're not inclined, if we don't see this, some sense of a posture of our heart that is consumed with God and his kingdom and and inclined and wanting to seek him in prayer, we need to consider, is there sin? Or are there other matters that maybe aren't just overt sin in and of themselves, but we've let become distractions and things that dull us? Because we were made to pray. And the more we grow in Christ, the more we we grow in, in knowing him and walking with him, um, even though that inclination can ebb and flow and, and uh, all of those things, it should be something that we see overall in an increasing way, a desire to know God, a desire to pray. So that's the first implication, to understand that we were made to pray, created and saved by God to pray. And it should be a, a natural, supernatural impulse of those who have come to know the love of God in Christ. And that's related to a second implication uh, that I would say this way, and that is that prayer is rooted in knowing and communing with the triune God. Prayer is rooted in knowing and communing with 
the triune God. Uh, Again, this relates to what I said this morning, that prayer is not mechanical, it's not a formula, it's not some mystical, magical, superstitious activity. It's bound up in knowing and communing with the triune God. And even in all that Jesus addresses in Matthew 6, that is very much implied, and also as it carries on into chapter 7, and with the passage that I read from chapter 7 this morning, Uh, when Jesus says in verses 7 and following about asking and seeking and knocking and it'll be given to you and then he then draws on the illustration of what a good generous kind gracious father God is the implication is it's bound up in knowing him to be such a father and this is why our knowledge of God the father God the son God the Holy Spirit as he's revealed in his word is so bound up and interwoven with Uh, how we pray and and how we grow in prayer and knowing that we know God in Christ now as our loving heavenly father and ourselves to be his children and that we are forgiven that we are accepted and that we are welcomed before his throne of grace Um, I don't know how it is for you but I know for me oftentimes I can I can have this sense that if I'm going before God, that, that he's maybe just kind of standing there, just kind of like, you did it again. You know, there's sin I got to confess, there's other things, and, and that he's just got this, well, there you go again. And with kind of his arms folded, kind of a cold demeanor. That's not God the Father as he's revealed himself in his word. He's a holy father. He's a righteous father. He does deal with sin, and he does bring discipline. But I think we should think of him as he's revealed himself to be. I think often of the picture in Luke chapter 15 and the story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son who takes all of the father's wealth that he's giving to him and he goes away from the father and he squanders it and he finally comes to his senses and he returns. And the image and the picture that is painted there by Jesus is of the father breaking all social norms and boundaries and decorum by picking up his robe and just running to the son to greet him with eagerness and joy because this son who was lost has returned. And every time we return to the father, every time we come and confess our sins, he is eager and ready and willing to forgive in the fullness of all that he's accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sin, or I'm sorry, prayer is rooted in knowing and communing with the triune God in the fullness of his holy, righteous, loving, merciful, gracious, glorious character. Uh, J.I. Packer says this in his uh, classic book, Knowing God. He says this, quote, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his or her father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Knowing God as Father and we who are in Christ, whom he's brought to faith, are his beloved, blood-bought children. And so prayer is rooted in knowing and communing with the triune God and sharing that fellowship and communion in a deepening way. So that's a second implication. Here's a third implication. 
And it's this, prayer is comprehensive. Prayer is comprehensive. In other words, it is, in God's design, an all-of-life, all-the-time posture. And that's why I think it's important in understanding it is this sense of of a posture. It's a disposition. It's not just measured by the by the uh, chronological time that we may spend in prayer. It's bound up in this relational reality that we've been brought into and being reconciled to God, the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit, and it encompasses all of our life. And what this means in a practical way is even in the way Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, in the patterns of prayer that he gives and the things that we looked at this morning in terms of relational sincerity and reverent loyalty and complete dependency, all of those are, are bound up in a, in a fullness, in a comprehensiveness of, of our lives and how we are to relate to God on a, on a continual basis. In other words, it's not just check the box of relational sincerity and then check the box of reverent loyalty and then check the box of complete dependency and kind of going down the list in a sort of a mechanical way. No, it's bound up in the, in the comprehensiveness of our lives. And this is why we find commandments, encouragements, exhortations in other places that we're to be praying always such as what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Does that mean that we're to quit our jobs, we're to abandon all other responsibilities and just do nothing but 24-7, we're on our knees, on our faces, before the Lord in prayer? Well, absolutely not. That is not what that means. He's echoing the sense that there's, a, there's to be a posture, there's to be a, a disposition that's continually seeking the Lord, comprehensively, all of life, all the time. Um, to draw on the physical analogy of our lives, as I, as I touched on a little bit ago, um, we know, we, we don't always do it to, to, to every degree that we probably could, but in our physical lives, there's important things that contribute to our overall physical health, Right? proper diet, proper exercise, proper sleep, and and other factors as well. Well, those aren't just linear, check the box, do it kind of thing. They're all woven together in the very fabric of life and and day-to-day life. And in a spiritual sense, the same is true, that we're to be looking to the Lord, having this inclination all the time. And personally, I find that very freeing. Uh, because sometimes I think we get hung up and, and struggle with this matter of prayer because we have some idea, maybe we've read about you know, some Christians in the past and some great, amazing, sacrificial things that took place in their prayer lives or habits or disciplines, and, and there's a place for all of those things. But we can think, well, if I'm not doing it that way, then I'm not really praying in the right way. But that's not the case. Uh, if we are growing and we're cultivating and seeing this posture of, of, of seeking God and his kingdom present and deepening, it encompasses all of life every day. And dependent on the specific circumstances of each one of our lives, whether you're a busy, exhausted mom or a busy, exhausted dad or you've got other pressures and responsibilities, the Lord knows and is, is eager to meet us, even in the, in the brief moments that there may be. 
There's a wonderful little book by Michael Reeves, who is a contemporary theologian who has written a lot and speaks and preaches a lot. He's the president of a school in England. And uh, he wrote a wonderful little book entitled Enjoying or Enjoy Your Prayer Life. Enjoy Your Prayer Life. And he says this at one point in his book, quote, it's a little bit of a longer quote. He says, we don't need to try to fit God into each day. That is to see our prayer life as something different from the rest of life. In fact, the danger arises precisely when you think your prayer life is something separate. No, for the Son, God, for the Son, the Lord Jesus, everything flows from his communion with his Father, and so it should become for us. When you know that each day is already all God's, and that we have fellowship with him all the time, then prayer suffuses the whole day more naturally. Then you find yourself intuitively praying through the day more and without feeling the need to be hyper-spiritual and concentrated the whole time. Amen to that, end quote. There's a time and a place that we have extended concentrated times for prayer. And again, those may ebb and flow as well. And yes, it is good and right to, to seek to be disciplined and purposeful and planned. But at the same time, there's, there's a fullness about it. There's a, a comprehensiveness about what God intends in our lives. And so I hope that's encouraging and freeing to, to know that because our circumstances vary. God's concerned about the, the posture of our heart and the inclination to pray. Well, that leads then to a fourth inclination. And with this, I'll, I'll wrap this up. And it's simply this, growth in prayer is a continual process. Growth in prayer is a continual process. Uh, we need to learn from Jesus' teaching, and we need to learn from it again and again and again. And so many of the examples and so many of the exhortations regarding prayer that are, that are throughout Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, certainly imply this reality. It is a process of growth for every single one of us. And every single one of us are, are in a different place in that process of growth. Uh, but God wonderfully works with us and in us to both deepen our awareness of our neediness before God and concurrently to deepen our awareness and confidence of his infinite sufficiency for all that we need. And that whatever our needs may be, he is always sufficient. Remember how Paul had to learn that with the uh, thorn in the flesh that he speaks of in 2 Corinthians 12 and how he prayed three times for the Lord to take it away. And God's answer was, no, I'm not going to take it away because I'm teaching you, in essence, that my grace is sufficient for you and for all that you need. And Paul was learning, even in unanswered prayers, to trust the Lord and to trust his sufficiency. And so it is for us to grow in a deepening awareness of our neediness and a deepening awareness and confidence of all of God's sufficiency in Christ. So those are just a few brief implications. And again, uh, I'm sure you could come up with other ones um, and, and, and we could exhaust these things. But we were made to pray, created and saved by God to pray. Prayer is rooted in knowing and communing with the triune God. It is comprehensive. It encompasses all of life all the time. And growth in prayer is a continual process. And even in the opportunities that we have, such as tonight, 
uh, he uses these things to continue to deepen and strengthen us in prayer. So what a wonderful, mysterious, comforting blessing prayer is for God's beloved children. And may we walk in that blessing more and more as he keeps teaching us to pray. So let me pray, then Tim's going to come up and lead us in a more extended time. Lord, we do thank you for all of your purposes in the mystery of, of prayer as you have designed and called us to as your people. Uh, we know that there are all kinds of forms of, of artificial and false prayer. It is something that can be much talked about and even practiced in many different ways, but it is your word uh, that instructs us and that guides us in every aspect of how we are to pray, why we can pray, what promises you give us in prayer, and the means by which we indeed come before you in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're grateful for time to um, be nourished in these truths. Pray that you would effect your purposes in each one of us and even use the time now as we collectively seek you together. Thank you for your mercies in Christ's name. Amen and amen.